Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale, October 7th, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. We have a heck of a show for everybody this week. Tucker, before we get into our normal pleasantries, I wanted to read two tweets that we got about the show. One was uh, in response to our episode last week, which was directed to myself and writer Leah Williams. And it comes from Vote or Die from at Ambient Zombie Zero. Ambient Zombie Zero says, just wanted to thank both of you for sharing a bit of your stories, re-domestic abuse, on the most recent Marvel's pull list. Letting victims know it's okay to speak up is so important, and I'm so happy for both of you being in better places. And Ambient Zombie also wishes my daughter a happy birthday. Um, I just want to say, uh, you know, thank you for that that tweet, uh, Ambient Zombie. It, yeah, that was a, a real heavy one uh, at times. A lot of fun, and I'm so glad that Lee and I were able to talk and share it on the show. Um, and I, I hope it means something to a lot of the folks out there who um, who need to hear stuff like that and know it's okay to talk. And if you know you need somebody, there are people out there who want to listen and want to help. And there are great stories to to really like help you process things. Yeah, that was a, a really beautiful interview with with Leah Ryan, and that's like the prime thing that I love about doing this show and listening to episodes of Twim or doing these kind of things. Just getting to know a little bit of the personal side of these incredibly creative people. Um, and, uh, yeah, that interview is represents the best of it. Yes. Agreed. And then a tweet from our pal Lex Pendragon, uh, Lex is responding to you, Tucker, and, and your, <laughs> your trials from last week saying, I feel for you, Tucker Marcus. I know what you mean about how everything goes South with one thing after another like that. And he says, uh, bravo to me for being total pro and picking up and covering. But that's the thing. We're a team here. The show always goes on. And I think we're doing I think we're doing a bang up job. And I want to say thank you, Tucker, for being on the show with me. I really. It, oh, it's Ryan. A, it's a pleasure every week to be able to record. It, I feel exactly the same. Uh, we do have uh, we have a bunch of new issues to talk about this week. And our reading club is a really, really fun one. Uh, we're going to get into that after the new issues it is with Jordan D. White, current editor of the X-Men titles. Uh, but he's talking about about some Deadpool issues that he edited back four, five, six years ago. And they're really great. They are part of uh, a Deadpool run. We'll get you the numbers and everything a little bit later. But right now, let's dive into our new books. Let's do it. All right, we're starting with a huge one. It is Amazing Spider-Man number 49 or Legacy numbering number 850. It's written by Nick Spencer with pencils by... Get this, Ryan Otley, Umberto Ramos, and Mark Bagley, inks by Cliff Rathburn, Victor Olazaba, and John Dell, colors by Nathan Fairbairn, Edgar Delgado, and David Curiel, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagno. What a superstar crew that is. It really feels like a threshold moment here. It really feels like we're walking through a new door, a new reality, a new status quo for Spider-Man in emotional ways more than anything else there are obviously huge moves made here uh first and foremost involving the green goblin which is it's just really special in terms of the actual narrative and what goes on in here because it's such a big issue i don't want to talk too much about it but just on that front alone the norman osborne peter parker connection the green goblin spider-man connection it is just one of those things that's meant to be you're meant to read Marvel Comics with Spider-Man and the Green Goblin on the same page. 
uh, bouncing off of each other. It is just incredible. And, it, you know, it just gives me such a, you know, just goosebumps anytime I'm reading it. And then when you pair that on its own base level with the incredible storytelling that Nick has brought to this entire series, it is just special stuff. It's so much fun to read. The art is on another level. Obviously, that's what you expect with this creative team on board this issue. It's a really, really, really big one. You know, you look at the century issues, you look at the 50s, you look at these kind of big moments, and this issue in terms of the emotional weight, in terms of the dramatic weight, totally feels worthy of that. So, so fun. I could be wrong, but I think this is the first of our series to reach 850, Mm. to reach this high. That sounds Um, right, yeah. uh, Which is just amazing. It's, It's incredible. What an issue. Really good. Um, all right. Let's move on to Black Widow number two, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Elena Casagrande, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Um, it's hard to talk about this book if you've not read the first issue because there's a lot of revelations and stuff and things going on that were revealed in the first issue. So I'm, I'm going to give y'all a little bit of leeway and try to not talk too much in spoilers. Um, but there's a new status quo for Natasha, and she is... Uh, just in a different space. And that's the simplest way I can put it. But there's a moment where now in this issue, in issue number two, Clint Barton, aka Hawkeye, and Bucky Barnes, aka Winter Soldier, two people who are as close to Natasha as anyone can possibly be in, in just in terms of her life and what she does. They're like trying to figure out where she's been and what's going on with her. They go to try to find out and they go to talk to her. And that scene with especially Clint talking to... Natasha, it was like the the floor came out from under me and I was like, oh, no, mm-hmm. I don't know what the what's going on, what this full arc and story is going to be. The only other thing I, I know for sure is Kelly writer was talking about writing Black Widow number five on Twitter and crying. Mm-hmm. And I'm just <laughs> it's it's going to oof, oof, oof. Yeah. there's a hell of a book. Really great. And Elena, Elena Casagrande does some incredible work in here. I, I can't wait for people to read this. Totally. Uh, huge fan of everybody on that book. It's that thing where with a new series, the book is revealing to you what this story is. And you're like, oh, it's this. I got similar vibes from our next book, which is Champions Number 1. It's written by the great Eve L. Ewing with art by Simone DiMaio, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, this is the one that I've been anticipating for a long time and really excited about. There's some cool reveals in here that kind of took me by surprise because – I don't know if it's just because of the youthful nature of this team, but I still feel like the champions are such a fresh concept. They still feel so fresh. And I think that's part, you know, as I was reading the issue, huge shout out to the art team, Simone and Federico, because it won. This book just has such an, a youthful feel about it. The colors, the way that your eye moves across the page. It's very kinetic. It's really fun. It's got such great drama to it. The shadows are really great. So I don't know if it's just kind of that. And that spirit has just kept me, you know, bouncing throughout, you know, every single champions run or something like that. But what was really surprising to me is some of the moves made in this issue, some of the reveals, some of the character moments, they hit me with more of an impact than I expected them to. And I was like, wow, I guess, I guess I really like the champions, just as a team, the web that has been woven between these characters, it still feels new to me, but somehow it's getting more complicated, more moves are being made, more things are happening that 
um, are built on the interiority of this team, on the team structure itself, on the, the, the interpersonal dynamics of these characters themselves. So even though in my mind it's still really fresh, it feels like some moves are being made that are years in the making or something like that. It just carries that weight. I love this creative team. Um, this is a book, like I said, I've been waiting for for a long time, and I'm really, really psyched to to really dig into it. Yeah. Um, I'm psyched for everybody to dig into Deadpool number seven, also written by Kelly Thompson, pencils by Gerardo Sandoval, inks by Victor Nava and Gerardo Sandoval, colors by Chris Sotomayor and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, we've talked about Gerardo and his incredible monster work and creature work, and that's in full effect here. There's some weird blobby things that he draws, big monsters. Um, you know, thinking about this now, the conversation we're going to have with Jordan in a little bit about something that they talk about for setting up the stories in Deadpool uh, that Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn and Jordan worked on and thinking about how they set up those stories and making them making you feel something when you you read this issue after listening to that part of the podcast, I think it's going to add a little extra weight to what's going on here, particularly about some stuff that happens by the end, but man, it's great. It's uh, Elsa Bloodstone and Deadpool going and fighting monsters for Elsa Bloodstone's life, which is rad. Oh yeah. Speaking of Jerry Duggan, how about a little dumb, dumb Duggan in Magnificent Ms. Marvel number 15. Uh, this issue is written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Ming Q. Jung inks by Juan Velasco, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, Dum Dum gets involved here in a really interesting way. So obviously, I just talked about Champions number one. Obviously, all the outlawed stuff is happening. Uh, and a big part of that is, you know, for those looking to take out these outlawed heroes, make sure they're not doing anything that is now illegal. Um, they're looking to uh, uh, kind of decapitate the champions in uh, so to speak and and big part of that is taking out one of the major leaders of that team who is Kamala Khan so Dum Dum has been uh, sort of tasked with leading this force uh, going up against Kamala and it's really interesting because I think a lot of that dynamic usually comes with like oh something bad is happening Kamala needs to leave school leave her friends leave her family life and go and be a hero she needs to go out and do things in uh in in a way that's up to her it's really cool to to dig into a story like this where she's just trying to do her own thing and then people are coming after her uh instead of her going after someone else so it's really really interesting stuff it's really fun there's some really dramatic moments that we get to here um in the rain the colors by ian are great iconic colorist of ms marvel ian herring uh, and Minkyu Jung, just incredible artist who I think is so perfectly cast on this book. Uh, it's a really, really, really intense and really fun read. Heck yeah. Up next is Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 19, written by Saladin Ahmed, pencils by Carmen Carnero and Marcelo Ferreira, inks by Carmen and J.P. Meyer, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is Miles versus Miles. Literally, it's a Miles versus a different Miles, and it's great. We've got Uncle Aaron in here. We've got disgusting, nasty clones. You've got nefarious plans. You've got Miles' parents being freaking awesome. This book is on fire right now. I'm really, really digging it. Oh, yeah. You know, we were on the fence about our next book, uh, about putting it in our new things, but I wanted to include it in here because it's the official handbook of the Conan universe. It's the anniversary edition. So this is a, actually a reprint 
from some older, older stuff. It's got incredible art by Elliot R. Brown, who is an unsung hero of mine, of some of the work he did, but John Buscema and Andy Kubert and, and so many more. It's got really beautiful stuff and it's tons of information about the Conan universe. One thing we do want to note is that this is a reprint of some material from many years ago. And some of the uh, cultural depictions and things in the book are a bit outdated. Uh, just put in that little note out there, you know, with a little hindsight, we can reflect on these things, but they are presented as they were back in the day. Our next new issue this week is Rise of Ultraman number two. It's written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom with art by Francesco Mana, colors by Espen Grudetjern and letters by VCs Ariana Marr. This team just isn't holding back. The story is not holding back. We're diving into it right away. And, you know, there are some moments in this issue um, that feel like they carry the dramatic weight of uh, a book two or three arcs in. Um, but uh, obviously we're only in issue number two. Um, so as we just rocket out of this trajectory in these first two issues, I feel like we're at such a steep curve. I'm so excited to see what this team is going to continue to do. Um, this is really one of those series that feels like um, it is at a hundred miles an hour. It's so much fun to read. Um, and I think a lot of the character work is done in such a delightful way of like, you have so much action going on, but you get these great character moments dotted throughout and getting to know these characters as you go. It's really, really fun. Um, and like I said, I'm kind of, uh, are, you know, with the moves that have made, been made in these first two issues, I, I can't wait to see, you know, how they continue to up the ante. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Spider-Man Marvel's Snapshots, number one, written and drawn by Howard Chaikin, colors by Jesus Arbertov and letters by Ken Brzezinek. Um, what I, one of the things that I'm excited about this is for someone who's never read a Howard Chaikin comic to read this and be like, who's this guy? What's, what's his story? Because Chaikin's a legend. He's been, he's done so many amazing stories for us and for other companies, but he has a very particular style, both in look dialogue, everything he does. And it's on full display here. This is like the other Marvel's snapshot stories. Sometimes a story about the hero, but sometimes a story about the world around the hero, because Think of Marvels. This is sort of where it stems from. This is a book that is curated by uh, Kurt Busiek. And so we we basically follow three characters whose lives are affected by superheroes, uh, affected by Spider-Man and, and the world around them. Some underworld stuff, uh, some trying to, you know, do right in a world of wrong, a world that's out of their control. It's terrific. It is great. It feels like like, uh, this is another one of those things I feel like this should have been a movie in 1988. Um, like, you, you could see this, you know, really wonderfully told. It's got a gritty New York City feel to it in, in really cool ways. I loved this issue. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Next up, we have Star Wars number seven, which is written by Charles Soule with art by Ramon Rosanas, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is the first issue of the second arc now that we're kicking off. One of my favorite things in all of Star Wars is the drama, the palace intrigue, uh, the little personal moments that we get with the Imperial officers throughout movies, throughout the comics. Some of my favorite moments have come from that. And that's really where we start this story as we're beginning in this second arc with Commander Zara. And it's really, really fun. This is an issue that is totally commanded 
by Commander Zavra's backstory with being ultimately um, more or less uh, Grand Moff Tarkin's protege, learning directly from Grand Moff Tarkin with, um, you know, how to do things the right way and, all, and also being punished by Tarkin uh, and learning that way as well. It's really, really interesting stuff. And then we kind of rock it back into the Star Wars story with, you know, our regular cast of characters. It's really, really fun. And, you know, this is exactly the kind of unique storytelling, the kind of risk taking that I love uh, that Star Wars comics take where you just say, all right, we're going here. We're going to explore this. We're going to make it real. We're going to make you feel things. Um, and then we're going to suck you right back out and keep going with the story. It's really, really, really excellent stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, totally characteristic of Charles Soule and this entire creative team. Yeah. All right. From Star Wars to Sword Master number 11, written by Xu Xu. Art by Gunji, adaptation by Amy Chu, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, this one is big action, lots of little comedic beats. I love how it sort of flips back and forth. It's a very Marvel Universe feeling book, even though it's, you know, it is a Marvel Universe title, but a, a corner of the Marvel Universe we haven't seen much of. There's a giant god of war that has been in prison, and we get a bunch of big revelations about it here. Uh, this is a hoot. If you're reading Swordmaster, uh, you're, this is a, an important one for you. If you've not, there's a whole bunch of issues that are on Marvel Unlimited you can start to catch up. It's, it's, a, it's a really fun little title. Totally. Next up, we have Thor number eight, which is written by Donnie Cates with guest art by the incredible Aaron Cooter, colors by Matt Wilson, and letters and design by VCs Joe Sabino. We uh, started with this enormous Galactus arc, um, uh, and now we are starting, uh, you know, still in early stages of the second arc here. This is actually the, um, the second uh, story of a kind of mini arc called Hammerfall. But uh, I say that because we've gotten to dive into a really fun story in the middle of Oklahoma. Tony Stark is involved. If you haven't gone on the Iron Man Twitter account um, or the Thor Twitter account lately and given Tony Stark a phone call, literally, I just, I really mean that. Go check it out. Do it right now. That's directly involved in this. It's so much fun. Um, so we have all these different beats happening on a ground level with this. And then we have the bigger story that's continuing to emerge. Um, I don't want to say too much in terms of the Thor history, the Thor mythology, all of that kind of stuff. But I think Thor fans will be really, really excited about it, really love uh, where it goes. It's really, really fun stuff and uh, uh, I think a, a totally unique issue. Yeah. We are now entering Ten of Swords territory. Yes. And it's this is a wild week because there are three issues for Ten of Swords. We have parts three, four, and five. Part three is Wolverine number six. Part four is X-Force number 13. But X-Force is a continuation picking right up where Wolverine ends. They are both issues written by Benjamin Percy. Both issues penciled by Victor Bogdanovich. Both issues colored by Matthew Wilson. VCs Corey Pettit letters Wolverine and VCs Joe Caramagna letters X-Force. With all that said, we are following two characters in these stories as they are going after the Blades for the big tournament in Ten of Swords. Uh, We are following Wolverine and we are following a new character named Solom. Solom is awesome. He is this uh, wild, charismatic, sort of pansexual member of Arako who has been in prison for 101 years. But really, he could break out whenever he wants. 
He's living his best life, just doing his thing. He's He kills who he wants. He loves who he wants. He does what he wants. He has now been drafted into the tournament to go up against Wolverine. Now, the both of them have to get a Muramasa Blade. Muramasa Blade is this really cool thing. It was established in Wolverine Comics years ago. It can cut adamantium. It can do wild things. It can kill Wolverine. It is a magical, awesome blade. And of course, Wolverine needs to wield it for this tournament. This rules. We've got all this like big quest, big character building stuff as we're getting closer to the tournament, establishing what the Ten Swords are and who will wield them uh, on each side. And on top of all that, with these couple of issues of Ten of Swords, we're getting, you know, fleshed out different text pages that tell us the areas of Otherworld and really set up the stage of like world building and really cool things. Um, look, it's it's bonkers. It's great. I love this so much. Oh, yeah. Next up for Chapter 5 of Ten of Swords, we have Marauders number 13, which is written by, hey, look at that, Vita Ayala. Uh, with art by Matteo Lali, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is a storm-focused issue. Um, and beyond that, this is an issue, speaking of the sword action, a, a kind of quest for a sword called Skybreaker. Storm goes to Wakanda and has a plethora of emotions and interactions there. Um, by that, I mean some are... Um, loving and wonderful. Some are really difficult. Uh, and I was really surprised and so excited by the how challenging this story was in a way and what it asks you as a reader um, and how it asks you to go along with it. It really is so, so interesting. It's kind of that thing of two well-intentioned parties coming up against each other with different perspectives on things. And at times, yeah, like I said, it's really tough. You're like, I don't even know what side I'm on. Um, but it's so much fun. Uh, such a great storm issue. Uh, such a great addition to the Ten of Swords story. One of my favorite things, period, about it is just that this crazy magic trick that every single one of these creative teams is doing in Ten of Swords, which is somehow progressing this Ten of Swords crossover story uh, each issue. We're continuing to dig into it. It totally feels like a Ten of Swords story, but at the same time, it somehow totally feels like a Marauder story. It totally feels like we're focusing on the characters that are central to these books, these stories, these teams. Um, I don't know how they do it, uh, but uh, somehow it still shocks me every single time. It's really, really great stuff. Really fun. Um, okay, that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. And now, coming out for print collections this week, we have four of them. We have Empire, Road to Empire. We have King Deadpool, Volume 1, New Mutants Epic Collection, Cable, and Spider-Man, The Road to Venom. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Unlimited this week has a bunch of really cool variant cover uh, collections. So it, they're a bunch of, they almost function like art books. Uh, one of them that I love is Marvel, the action figure variant covers. So if you want to just see some really cool art in Marvel Unlimited, this is a great week for that. There's a whole bunch. You can see the full list on marvel.com and uh, dig into all that as well as dig into the issues of Deadpool we are talking about this week with our guest, Jordan D. White. Those issues of Deadpool are... 26, 20, 13, 7, 250, 34, and 40 from the 2012 run. You'll understand why we talk about them <laughs> in that very strange order just in a second. Let's now talk with our pal, Jordan D. White. 
Jordan Dastardly White. Welcome to Marvel's Pull List. How are you, my friend? I'm good. It's good to be here. It is good to talk to you, especially about what we're going to be talking about today, which is a smattering of Deadpool issues that you edited. Um, Jordan, run us through the cho- like the reason you chose these for us to do our reading club on and, um, and a little bit of background. Sure thing. First of all, when you ask me to pick a comic, the first question is, do I pick something I just like or something I worked on? Honestly, the first thing that's going to come to mind is comics I loved working on. Not because I think I'm the best, but because working on comics is something I love. And so that like adds to it. It's not only reading them, but also being a part of them. So this is something I'm super particularly proud of because I do love comics as a medium and Marvel comics specifically. And this was us doing new funny Deadpool comics that were a love letter to old comics that we loved. Before we get into it, we are talking about Deadpool from the 2012 through 2015 run. We're talking about issues 7, 13, 20, 26, 34, 40, and 250, aka number 45. These are all collected in the Deadpool Flashbacks collection, uh, and they are all on Marvel Unlimited. So that first issue that came out chronologically is Deadpool number 7. That came out April 3rd, 2013. Excellent. Excellent. So this was, yeah, this was the Deadpool series that started as part of the Marvel Now line. And it was written by uh, Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn and, well, drawn by a, a number of people. It launched with uh, with Tony Moore, but the issues we're talking about are all Scott Koblish. And we came up with the idea to to do uh, kind of a, a fun issue in between arcs. Because, you know, Deadpool's always kind of fun, but we tried to give him some heavy stuff happening to him all the time as well. Um, and we'd go, well, let's let's do kind of a cool down issue at the same time or in, in between. And I think it was Brian Posehn who said that he wanted to do an issue about <laughs> Deadpool drinking with uh, with <laughs> with Tony Stark in the <laughs> 70s during Demon in a Bottle. And then as we had so much fun doing it that we said, let's just do this all the time. Let's let's between every big arc throw in a flashback issue and over the course of the series we did all of these issues that we're doing here covering uh, all the different decades of the uh, Marvel history and just pretending just because we knew that in continuity Deadpool is much older than most of the superheroes kind of Wolverine style right so he's been around the whole time even though we didn't see him until the 90s so we just went Let's just do stories where he's around back then and go, yeah, he was always around. Don't worry about it. I, I feel like these these issues have a real feeling about them, just reading them, that you and the entire creative team were getting away with something. And that is yeah. like the most joyful feeling to read. Even though I was I was at Marvel and I was reading all these. Tucker, you were probably an intern during some of these. Yeah. Like I was like, whoa, we printed this? I'm so glad we did. <laughs> Yeah, I completely feel. Was it? What, did you have that feeling when you were making them, Jordan? I mean, Deadpool was a, a crazy series to work on in general, and I think we did get away with a lot of things in these issues specifically, but also the whole series because because people underestimate Deadpool and they don't think of him as a serious comic that matters. So we were able to go well. Then in that case, let's do whatever crazy thing we want. And I think these issues particularly. Because those are the joke issues of the joke comic. They're like double jokes. People were like, well, obviously it doesn't matter. 
And we would go, oh, good. Oh, good. I'm glad you think that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something I love is that you can have a comic that has a joke in it, but the joke is fair game for real drama. And, and we definitely did that with this because with our first issue, our first inventory issue, um, this was the, the smaller version of that, but we introduce a character in the Demon in a Bottle issue. So the plot of the issue, for anybody who hasn't read it yet. And this is issue number seven of, of the Deadpool run. Yes. The plot of the issue is everybody knows the story Demon in a Bottle, where Tony Stark deals with alcoholism. Well, it's kind of has the idea, well, where's the demon? And we answer that by having it be that there's this demon who hires Deadpool to make sure Iron Man continues operating drunk. <laughs> It's terrible. It's yeah, awful. That's a, it's a really stellar stuff from you guys. You're great people here. So listen, Deadpool's not a role model. That's one of the things I've always said. He's terrible. But even Deadpool can't do it. He can't take a look at Tony Stark struggling with this and go, yeah, yeah, keep drinking. He, so what he ends up doing is he, he gets drunk himself and operates the Iron Man armor so that he's fulfilling the letter of the deal that Iron Man did this. So that was the goofy gag story. But then we went, well, hang on. What if the demon character from this fake late 70s, early 80s story uh, is still around in the present? And so we used that character in the next arc. Tucker, should we start with uh, talking about issue seven or do you want to start uh, with Jordan's chronology? I say we go with the with the, the chronology as presented in the trade. That feels like the most fun. Choice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So then chronologically, the first one would have been what? Deadpool 26. Mm -hmm. um, the issue right before it's the fill in issue before the big wedding issue. The most important issue 27 of all time uh, in comics history, as I used to call it. And it's the issue that takes place in the 50s, but <laughs> and is ostensibly an issue of Howling Commandos, <laughs> but features time traveling Adolf Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> also, the first page is just <laughs> like is just ripping off the amazing Hitler meme that was really popular, probably a couple years before this. <laughs> yeah, probably. I think it was, it was well out of like you know meme stardom at this point, but I. This crushed me. I, I laughed so hard at this because you can hear that video play yes. <laughs> when you're when you're reading this, which is just terrific. All right, I want to talk about Scott Koblish, please. You know, first and foremost, because I think he is so incredible, and if nothing else, reading these issues together shows you that. He can do anything. Yeah, he's he he got to be a true chameleon in this. Uh, I think, and now that I think about it, I think one of the reasons we did uh, do so many of these is that in doing the very first one we did, issue seven, we said, "Oh, let's give him a really like early '80s -y costume," and so we we had him design that. But then he was just having so much fun doing that that he literally was just like, "Here's what he would look like in a in crazy like Asgardian costume. Here's what he would look like in this time. Here's what he'd look like in this time." And we went, "We're gonna do all of these. We now this is happening." So, twenty six ends with Deadpool saying, "Let's go to uh, the swing in '60s in Wakanda," which sends us back to issue number twenty. <laughs> yes, in 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 the timeline of things for Wakandan vacation, and it's the same creative team. Man, Val's uh, color work is so good, and it's not just sort of coloring the the art itself. It's the the feeling that you get from the pages, the sense of like these look like aged pages from these particular time periods. 
minutes. Val, yeah, Val, like, uh, gave himself over a hundred and ten percent to making these feel like old comics. I, I believe he actually scanned pages of old comics to create the like background texture of the entire thing um, for every issue. And another thing that you will notice is what we call off register colors. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the printing process of old comics was, you know, there are four different colors. There's cyan, uh, yellow, magenta, and black, right? Those are the four colors that get printed and they're printed for people who don't know about how they're printed. Like basically they're printed one at a time. Uh, they lay down the, I don't know what order, but they lay down the blues. Let's Come say on, the, Jordan. <laughs> I don't know what CMYK. So probably the, the science first and then the magenta and then the, the yellow and then the blacks, let's say. But over the course of an entire print run, that doesn't re- usually remain perfect. And if you're looking at an old comic, the odds are very good that one of those colors is off by just a little bit. So they don't line up quite perfectly. You know, the character will look mostly the right color, but there'll be just a a weird like yellow halo on this side of their head and a little tiny bit of blue sticking out of this side of the lines of their their drawing. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And he would go into the files and just go, yeah, I'm just going to shift the register slightly on the colors so that on almost every page of this, the colors are just a little off in that way that the old comics were. It's so good. Uh, Issue 20 is the Wakandan story. So it's very, very Jack Kirby to the point where you had cover art by Tom Scholey, whom I love. He just um, wrote and drew a great Jack Kirby biography, but he gets to draw a bunch of Kirby characters. And then inside there's a double page splash, which is just a couple pages into it, which is, absolutely bananas i love it with all the with all the new characters just beating up yeah yeah you have like a celestial and then i was like i don't i don't know that character do i no he just made them all up he just made up like whatever it is eight characters for this page one of them the one that's like the weird floating eyeball head in the brackets Mm. uh, on the right there do you see him yeah that one he just was very fond of. And so if you look at the cover of Deadpool 27 with all the zillion superheroes, the one we got the Guinness record for, he's on there. He just was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing him on there. <laughs> I mean, and again, but see, that's the thing. This is something I would love to do is to, ha- to have somebody just go, I'm just going to pick one of these characters and bring them back and have them matter because that's the most weird and obscure randomness. If only you were an editor who could get projects going at Marvel Comics with characters that you enjoy. Jordan, how long had you been editing at Marvel to this point? And was this your first time editing Deadpool, like when this series started? Where where was this in the trajectory for you? Sure. Um, So I was technically I was still an assistant editor. Um, I, I started at Marvel as an assistant editor in 2007. Uh, so this was a a number of years in, I I think, I think this would have been, this would have been right around the time that I got promoted to associate editor. So maybe at this, maybe when, with some of these issues, I was associate editor. In fact, maybe all of them, I might be slightly off, but I started editing Deadpool when I moved into the X office with issue, uh, let's say 31 or or so of Dan Way's Deadpool, the previous volume, and that ran through like issue 60. So I had done like like 30 issues of Deadpool. That said, um, while I worked with Dan for that whole time, you know, that book was 
already cast and and up and running when I came on. So I had been doing Deadpool for a long time, but this is this one was was more mine in the sense that I was much more involved in figuring out what it was ahead of time. Were you a Deadpool fan uh, oh, yeah. before this? And and like, did you have did you have Touchstone runs of you know of Deadpool in your mind before and with that in mind, you know, in the creation of a Deadpool book, do you say, like, we're allowed to do things here even down to, you know, the pathos that we, we want to focus on, the comedy, the rules of just, like, um, uh, of regular comic book creation that maybe we can, you know, lean further in this direction that we wouldn't otherwise be able to? Or is it just, like... You know, this is this is what a Deadpool comic is, and that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do our version of it, but we know what that is. And with that in mind, what were those kind of touchstone Deadpool comics for you? So yeah, I mean, whenever I am launching a new book uh, based on you know an old an existing property, whether it was working on X Men relaunches or whether it was working on Deadpool relaunches or or any of the various books I've written, even Star Wars really. One of the things I'll do is yes, think about what makes that property work. What are the Deadpool stories I thought worked best? Why do I think those worked better than the ones I didn't think worked well? And I mean obviously the gold standard for Deadpool has always been the Joe Kelly run. It's amazing and hilarious. I, I wasn't reading I wasn't keeping up with with uh, current books when it came out, but at some point, I don't remember how I just randomly got an issue of it and went, "Oh, wow, this is this is great!" and ended up digging through back issues back when that was a thing, but back before you could just just get everything uh, digitally at uh, the click, click of a finger. But uh, that was always that it had a big good it had a place in my heart for that reason too because seeking out the books and finding them and going, Oh, what, what's this one? That's the piece I've been missing. It was all, always uh, made you, made you love the series even more, I think, but there you go. Uh, so that was the big one. That said, I'd also read all of the stuff that since he'd been back, um, cause he, there was a time there where he didn't have a book, um, which is wild to think about right now, because at one point we had like three Deadpool books going, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and we've now had consistently four, now, almost 10 years yeah or more than 10 years deadpool books but yeah yeah between between um the end of cable and deadpool which now usually gets collected as deadpool and cable but between the end of cable and deadpool <laughs> <laughs> and uh and the the dan way series uh there was no book for a while there and so i i liked the the cable and deadpool series a lot and then when uh, when the dan way series came back i read that and there was also a bunch of spin-offs during that too um uh, Merc with a Mouth and uh, Deadpool Family and all this. And so again, I looked at all of them and I said, which ones worked? Why do I think this one worked better than that one? Why do I think that one you know, didn't succeed as well as that one? And, uh, and I think a big key to it was that idea that you have to have something that, that gives it a grounding in quote-unquote reality. I mean, there's no superhero comics, but quote-unquote reality, but also reality of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, one of Jerry's big philosophies that he's always said about Deadpool, and I think was 100% true and served the character super well, was this is a character who can heal from anything, so the only way we can really hurt him is emotionally. Damn it. That guy's <laughs> so good. That guy has his like turn, little turns of phrase that like we end up quoting on this show 
in just in terms of like talking about how to make comics. Damn it, Jerry. Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the next one in the chronology 13. is is thirteen, right? Is that what? Yeah. Thir- so thirteen yeah. is our seventies issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deadpool would say that he teamed up with the Heroes for Hire. They would say he annoyed them. Uh, and that's, again, that's where he meets Carmelita Camacho, who becomes the mother of his daughter. Um, it's got so many 70s references in it. Deadpool has an <laughs> afro for a lot of the issue. Um, he's wearing giant bell bottoms. He's got a, a big, like, chain with his Deadpool symbol around yeah, it. Yeah, he does. He has. A, he wears a pimp outfit. I don't know. Again, we. I don't think we could get away with this now. Yeah, I, we're even just having the big villain be the white man, the white and it's man. just all the white man jokes are so good. And mm-hmm. oh, and also, again, you, we mentioned that the whole thing is done on f- fake-looking old paper. So, so there's no white in this book, but the white man is white. Like the it, normally, the color white would look like this kind of yellowed paper color because that's what happens to the color white. In but we went no, the white man is actually white even if the paper is papered over. So so he like practically glows on the page because he's definitely the brightest and whitest thing on the page. It's amazing. And it's also again, this is a two-parter because the issue ends with them what are they? Like turn him to stone or something? I forget. Yes, they turn him to stone. Uh and the next issue of the actual series has him getting well, at the uh, end of this, uh, at the end of the actual issue, uh, yeah, it ends with him being woken up out of his stone state. Um, and then you bring him into the modern continuity. One of my favorite things about reading this is, you know, I, it's really, really fun to see the progression of Jerry's work on this series and then Jerry's work on the next series. And then, you know, even subsequent stuff uh, and to see kind of this lineage of how it's all gone. It's so, so interesting for my question for you is as an editor, do you, are you ever like, do you ever, do you have any kind of self-awareness of what you might take from a series, what you have learned in, you know, any, at any given kind of, in any given run or something that are working with a certain creator, or is it only something that emerges years after where you're like, Oh yeah, look at that. I picked that up, you know, uh, alongside this person or with that run. Well, there are definitely times when when it happens in the moment and and you go like oh but most of the time it's looking back i mean I, again i i mentioned that thing about how to hurt hurt deadpool i mean that was definitely something jerry said and in the moment i was like yes this is exactly the key um like there's a lot of you know actual day-to-day stuff that you're dealing with so a lot of times there's not necessarily room for for too much self-reflection but over time those understandings do emerge i think over time you are able to look back at what you've been doing and what again what has worked and and why it worked when it worked and why it didn't when it didn't uh we got to keep going we got to move to the next piece chronologically we talked about a little bit already which is issue seven seven uh so we talked a lot about that which was good then to issue 250 which is aka issue 45 aka the last issue of the run Right. And and the only story from that that we put in there was Deadpool roasts the Marvel Universe. Right. So if you're reading the issue, you get 60 pages into the comic before you get into the flashback story, <laughs> which uh, is wild. And it is uh, I'm just so happy it included the Thanos copter. Yes, we canonized was... the Thanos copter. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's oh, it, it, it pretends it's an Infinity Gauntlet tie in. Thanos in his Thanos copter hired Deadpool to get the cosmic cube because he didn't want anything to compete with the Infinity Gauntlet. Except then Deadpool uses it to steal the Infinity Gauntlet and and literally hold a roast of the Marvel Universe. 
which is, you know, there's a lot of funny moments and weird moments and sad moments and action moments, all this stuff. But the big splash page of Deadpool, like looking at the gauntlet and looking back at this run that, you know, these last four years of comics and, and his history, you know, painted through that with, you know, all, everything that he's gone through is such a freaking like heartbreaker. It, it's a, great. I mean, again, yeah, that's what we always wanted to do was make a comic that was really funny. So people wouldn't realize how much they cared about the character. I love it. So then the next, the next one is issue 34. And this is a, this is another great one. And I, I'm trying, I'm, Oh, a couple of things about this. So first of all, this is during original sin. And they said during original sin, the plan was we're all going to reveal you know, like secrets from the, the characters past. And so we went, well, you know, it'd be really messed up as if this happened. Who, who pitched that? Oh, Jerry. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, we couldn't actually do that. And then we did it. Um, and not only did we do it, we did it in a issue, a flashback issue where we had Scott aping the, the 90s style as closely as humanly possible. Should I reveal the only whispered about secret to you and your listeners? Yes. There is something that does not appear on any of the 27 pages of this 90s Deadpool comic. It's something that each one of us could see very easily if we but looked down. Any thoughts? No, you friggin' weirdo. What are you talking about? <laughs> feet. <laughs> there are oh no God. feet in this entire comic. Oh my God. Comic. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Even on the Crazy serious bastards. pages. Wow. Now, but on page 28, when it goes to the present, take a look at the first panel. <laughs> it's a close-up of feet. That's such an inside baseball thing. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will leave it up to our intrepid listeners to suss out what that means if they don't automatically get it. But it is tremendous. And I love it. Yeah. Like, so, so yeah, Jerry pitched well, what if Deadpool killed his own parents and he didn't know it because they were messing with his head? And we were like, well, yeah, but he would be irredeemable. Like, that makes him terrible. How can he ever come back from that? And they were like, well, there's, I think there's a way we can make it work. And I, I think that they did. It's brutal. And I think it's pretty amazing to me that Scott is able to pull off um, a really emotional and affecting scene without ever breaking from the style he still mm -hmm. he stays in the 90s style he like there's a restraint that he has to have in doing this particular style because he is so very detailed there's a skill to do this which if you don't understand it or don't think about it you just pass it by but man to make it work the way he does what a champ yeah that's the scene of him starting the fire in his house is just is pretty gut-wrenching because he has Eight no idea silent pages Oh my god. Even Sabretooth feels bad. Yeah. And Sabretooth's real trash bag at this time. <laughs> yes. I love this issue. I love this issue. Um I I love it, but man, it is it is an it's so upsetting. <laughs> it's so brutal. And you know, as, as someone who enjoys this run so much, it's so important to yeah. I think this is one of the most important Deadpool issues um in the character's run. Yeah, last issue is issue number 40, and it's a little bit of a different one uh, because it's it's less of a flashback issue and more of a wild... So it, to give a little uh, 
preface to the way I read it is that in the 70s, 80s, uh, more in the 80s and 90s, um, the Marvel would do a lot of educational comics and a lot of partnership comics right. with um, medical organizations or energy companies or all kinds of stuff. We've actually collected a bunch of those yeah. uh, in trade, which is a hoot. And so this is your version of that with Deadpool. When we of. when we started this issue, when we first came up with this issue, I mean, because well, Marvel, I mean, listen, Marvel still does stuff like that. They, they still make... Um, you know, custom comics working with, with, with the companies. When we started this comic, we went to the person who works on those and we said, do you think there's anybody who would want to do an issue of Deadpool with us where we do that, but like make fun of that? And in the end, everybody kind of went, that sounds a very complicated to find someone who's okay with getting made fun of. <laughs> like, I'm sure it could happen, but it just would be really difficult. And you know, we, we didn't have the time. So we ended up saying, well, then we'll do it with Roxxon. Roxxon will definitely do it. I don't remember how. It must have been Val Staples' idea to color it with crayons. I love it, though. The fact that we have an actual, real, published Marvel comic book that is colored in crayon. So this is actual crayons that he colored the pages with. Oh, yeah. He printed out the high-res ink files on paper, colored them by hand, with crayons and then scan them back in. I see. I don't know why I would un- why why like I totally assumed that it was like a fake crayon situation. Nope. But of course, like the commitment to the bit went that deep. Like, there's no other way for this team. This is absolutely real, real crayons. Um, also, speaking of ridiculous things, I also love that on the recap page for this issue, I forced and I and I mean forced the bullpen. To use Comic Sans. They <laughs> did not want to do it. Irene, who is amazing and who draws the little the little Deadpool who we used in the recap pages, mm-hmm. she was she, it hurt her to put Comic Sans <laughs> on this page. She did not want to do it. And I was like, no, you have to. I, I, yes, I want it to look like that. I want it to look cringe inducing and she... i know irene and i can even hear her voice and like she's just like trying to fight you but being really sweet and like oh man mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so so that so that's comic sans in there um yeah and he did the he did the comic uh, he printed it uh it's gamma fracturing gracking so it's a pro gracking comic that they've hired deadpool to do um the fact that sarah silverman is in it uh-huh. is insane obviously brian is and and jerry both are friends with her and they just were like hey what if we had sarah in this book and i went yeah of course i'm not gonna say no to that and so she was like yeah sure scott i think does an amazing job again this is an issue that he's he's using like a really simplified slightly more cartoony style but he's still able to really capture her likeness i think very well in in like an astoundingly few number of lines um it's a really impressive issue. Also, we have a fun page in the middle, like a, a little activity page. My favorite part of this activity page is how <laughs> so there's a word search and there's a maze and there's a connect the dots, which is ridiculous. But there's a word scramble and people get very uncomfortable about the fact that the last scrambled word <laughs> is nipples. <laughs> and there's nothing that's just a thing like it's nothing dirty happens in it but it's that's the word it is it's nipples and, <laughs> and it, it's just very weird <laughs> oh my god 
Oh my oh, god. Oh yeah, and on the so on good. the activity page, again, on the activity page, <laughs> um Val colored it in crayon as well, but you'll also see a couple of like just little drawings he did in crayon and he just mm-hmm. drew the drew he just drew in crayon like a kid would. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, no, this was this was super fun. Like it was a ridiculous issue to do. But I'm so happy that it exists. And again, it shouldn't exist. It it, it makes no sense. Oh, yeah. Jason Aaron and Jason Latour are in it for yep. no reason. Yeah. OK, sure. Why not? Yeah, why I mean, not? and especially they didn't put Jerry and Brian aren't in it. They didn't put themselves in it. They were like, let's put in two other writers. Make a different comic entirely. OK. <laughs> We are. You were having some weird fun at that time. We were. Twenty fourteen was, twenty fourteen fifteen was a. It's a good time. Oh, um, I love this book, man. I love this book. It's really good, uh, and I'm very glad you chose this as opposed. To, although you know, like one of my favorite stories of all time is Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you know, I could talk about that story for for ages. Maybe we try to get you back and get Jerry and sure you know, Brian together. Everybody to talk about it. That would be cool. But. Um, the fact that you chose these makes me really happy because they're just so weird, but yet so relevant to everything Deadpool. It's great. Um, if it, first of all, if you listen to this whole thing, thank you. But because I know I rambled a lot, but if you were a big fan of these, let me recommend to your, your listeners, a couple of follow-ups, things that are in this vein directly that we, Jerry and I did that aren't in this trade. So we've got. Oh, man, I don't remember the issue number, <laughs> but the, there's an issue that Jerry, it, the exact team that did this, Jer, Jerry, Scott, Val, uh, we did an issue of uh, Spider-Man Deadpool. Like I said, it takes place in the 60s. It was an issue supposed to be an issue of Amazing Spider-Man that um, where Deadpool and Spider-Man meet for the very first time. There's that terrific fun. Uh, number two, for the next run of Deadpool that Jerry did without Brian, but with Jerry, with Jerry and, uh, and then Scott would come back for instead of doing flashbacks, we did what we jokingly called flash forwards, although also kind of weirdly flashbacks, we did Deadpool 2099. So between every arc, you would get another issue of Deadpool 2099, hearkening back to the, the nineties, 2099 comics, but a new spin on it. Also, there's an annual that Jerry did with Scott that pretends to be a, uh, an episode of the Sp- uh, Deadpool and his, well, it's not Deadpool and his his amazing friends. It must be Deadpool and his like dirtbag friends or something. <laughs> I forget what it is, but it's it's Deadpool and Iceman and Firestar and like oh, they accidentally murder a bunch of villains and stuff. It's it's insane and bloody and and amazing and and ridiculous. The Spider Man Deadpool issue is issue number seven convention chaos there we go there we go it's it's pretty great and what i love about it is that it actually ties in okay in that spider-man deadpool issue deadpool doesn't like spider-man he thinks he's dumb he thinks he's 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 wrong he makes fun of him and he's just like this guy stinks right but another book i did that takes place back in time and also fits with this because Deadpool in it, it takes place in the 80s and Deadpool in it wears the his 80s costume from this where he's got the DP on his chest um, is uh, Deadpool Secret Secret Wars written by Colin Bunn. And in that and then in its sequel, Deadpool Back in Black, Deadpool is the before Spider-Man gets the symbiote Venom, the Venom symbiote on him and it touches him and uh it doesn't work out. And so he just gets rid of it really quickly. But then in back in black, when it leaves, uh, when Spider-Man rejects it, it goes to 
Wade before it goes to Eddie Brock. And now to me, <laughs> my personal continuity of the Marvel Universe says that the reason Venom was like a little bit crazier than Spider-Man with the costume on is because of Deadpool having it in between and bonding with it. And the reason that Deadpool likes Spider-Man so much now is because he bonded with the symbiote who also <laughs> likes Spider-Man an awful lot. So that's my personal continuity. That's why Deadpool likes Spider-Man because of the Venom symbiote. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it tracks. No, don't ask Donny Cates about this because he will tell you it doesn't count. Oh. <laughs> but as long as no one brings it up, it still counts. Fair enough. Uh, I'm so happy to have been able to, to, to talk your ear off about this. It, it's so much fun. It's yeah. amazing that you guys you know, had the responsibility of writing like a, a linear, really excellent Deadpool story on its own. And then also took the time to do this madness on top of it. <laughs> just as a reader, I'm just so grateful for that. It was, it was seriously our pleasure. We, we loved every second of it. I, I, I was, I was on my way here. I was telling Jerry, I was doing this. Um, and, uh, and I, I said to him, I wish, I wish we could do old flashback issues like this about X-Men, but I, I feel like <laughs> I don't think X-Men fans would want us to take it as, le as, as lightly, as jokily as we did here. I feel like we'd have to do it really serious and that would take away a bit of the fun of it. I, There's a I way. don't know. That smells like a fifth week event. That smells like an, sounds like a, an annual type thing. I, oof, oof. You never know. That would be really cool. Um, Jordan, this was terrific. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Uh, go back to making some really incredible X-Men comics right now. Uh, Ten of Swords, so good. I told this to – I know this is not what we're talking about, but I told this to Pepe on his Instagram. The panel in creation, the, yeah. the shot of Apocalypse that is like a third of a page. It's like sort of framed from down below. Um, the way it is drawn and colored is one of my favorite panels in all of comics this year. The story is so good. Pepe's it's amazing. The whole book is so wow. much fun. But but Pepe, I mean, again, I, Jonathan's great. Tini is great. Everybody involved is great. Pepe is a superstar, and he he is absolutely the best. Yeah, really good comics. Um, yeah, you're 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 a good one. We appreciate all your time, and uh, yeah, keep making more amazing comics. I'll do my best. Thank you once more to Jordan D. White. Uh, I love that the end of that conversation, like we just like there was a dip of the toe into X-Men talk. I literally had to stop myself from saying anything because I knew if I opened my mouth about it, I wouldn't be able to stop for another 20 minutes, especially when talking about Ten of Swords creation number one, which makes me lose my mind. It's so damn good. Uh, but uh, yeah, Jordan is just the best. He sure is. All right, that's a wrap for us right now. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker, Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. He also has some very deep, disturbing, weird history with Deadpool, but we can't get into that right now. No, no. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs> <laughs>